Futurecast. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. We're still on the Red Squad recruitment drive, or Patreon subscriber drive, whichever sounds better to you. A massive, massive thank you to those that have already joined or upgraded. If you haven't, now is the time. The drive ends shortly. We're about to see the beginning of a long-standing adversary in this series as we come face-to-face with, well, with a, with a different version of the Borg. When we do, we'll learn about the unbelievable power of a common purpose. I'll share why it's important to know a thing for what it is. And finally, I'm going to examine the danger of having too much power. Let's get into it. This is the 17th episode of the third season of Voyager, Unity. First Officer Chakotay and Ensign Kaplan are in a shuttle returning to Voyager after scouting ahead through the Necrit Expanse. The Necrit Expanse is this massive area of space that has very little in it, other than some nebulas, maybe some plasma storms. You know they ought to rename this place the Negative Expanse. Charts and maps of the area are rare, and honestly, they're pretty useless because it's volatile. It's constantly changing. Going around the expanse, like just driving around the thing, would have dramatically added to their journey home, so they decided to take the estimated month-long trip straight through it instead. The last few episodes, chronologically, of Voyager have been dealing with crossing this area. Now, with Chakotay and Kaplan, they're coming back to the ship, and they're struggling to get a navigational fix. Are you saying we're lost, Ensign? And they can't find Voyager. They find a Federation hailing beacon sending out a distress call, though. It's coming from a planet with about 80,000 humanoid life signs. This is super unexpected. So they land on the planet to check it out, but not before leaving a beacon to let anybody know where they are. The planet is an absolute wreck. This place looks like a war zone. They're attacked within minutes. Caught in the crossfire between two factions, they both get hit and they go down. Chakotay wakes up in a makeshift med bay sometime later. Riley Frazier, a human woman, is caring for him and shares that Kaplan, Kaplan didn't make it. And if that weren't bad enough, the attackers have already completely scavenged his shuttle. It's gone. Chakotay is stranded and he's alone. Riley shares that she was a science officer on a Federation starship that was attacked about eight years ago. Survivors of that attack were put in stasis and were left on this planet. There's a very diverse group of Alpha Quadrant species here. Everyone here has pretty much the same story. She goes on to say that a lot of people on the planet have formed groups and now they're attacking each other. And now it's anarchy. How come Andrew gets to get up? That's right. If he gets up, we'll all get up. It'll be anarchy. Her group, where Chakotay is, has formed a cooperative that works together to make the most of the limited resources that are available to them. Chakotay wants to help repair their communications array. That'll help him reach Voyager, and it's a way of him saying thank you. 
but he's hurt. He's hurt pretty bad. So he lies back down on Voyager. Tuvok picks up an unknown vessel on long range sensors. They get into visual range and it's the Borg. They go to red alert and they prep for battle, but the cube is adrift. It's dead in space. Janeway, Janeway, Janeway sees an opportunity here. She and Belana Torres, the ship's chief engineer, come up with a plan to go on board the cube and learn what they can about the tech. Chakotay is up and he's getting around the cooperative. He offers to take everybody along or as many people as want to bring them along on Voyager when they're found. But Riley says that they want to stay here. They're putting down roots. They just want a way to find peace with the other humanoids, the other settlers on this planet. He respects that and he's eager to help, but he still needs to recuperate. He's just not in good shape. He rests a bit, but then goes out exploring on his own. The wound on his head appears to be getting worse, but he leaves the med bay and he walks out all through the cooperative. They have no idea that he's out and about on his own. The people are just going about their business. Many of them, you'll notice, are missing limbs. They're heavily scarred. Just a flesh wound. And he sees a small group gather around Riley. It almost looks like, like she's sitting in a barber's chair. Someone's doing some kind of work on her head or face area. And when she turns around, we see that she and the people working on her are former Borg. Are you Borg? We were Borg. These people were assimilated at Wolf 359. That's the massive battle in Star Trek, the next generation, the best of both worlds arc. We actually talked a little bit about that in our episode on TNG family. They try to settle them down and explain that their link to the collective was broken. And then once that happened, they started becoming themselves again. They figured out how to remove their Borg body parts, their Borg implants. They're working to return to as normal as they can and just want to live their lives. But as the deborged people started to see aliens, cultures that they didn't know or understand that had been part of the collective with them, they didn't know what to do. So they did what so, so many do when they don't understand something. They attack it. But we're not all like that. Everything I told you about forming a cooperative, building a new society, I meant it. Orem, the medic, is Romulan. He says he was trained from birth to hate humans, to hate the Federation. But he's all in on the cooperative. This thing really appears to be legit. After some questions and some back and forth, Chakotay agrees to, to help him out. Voyagers picked up Chakotay's shuttle beacon that he left before he landed on the planet and they're en route. The doctor is examining a dead Borg that they brought over from the cube. It was electrocuted and it died. This lines up with what Riley was saying about how they went down. Their cube was taken down by an electrokinetic storm. The people Chakotay is with looks like they are from the exact same cube that Voyager just got off of. The autopsy also uncovers that, even though they're biologically dead, the right stimulus can reactivate the Borg drones. Torres says they're basically sitting on a bomb, and they have no idea what or where the fuse is. On the planet, Chakotay is getting worse. The cooperative offer a terrifying, terrifying solution. You see, the Borg link can heal both organic 
and inorganic material. We still have Borg neural processors implanted in our nervous systems. These people, these former Borg can still link up and they want to link with Chakotay to heal him. Um, excuse me, what the actual f He is freaking out, but they're staying completely calm. Orem explains that this link is temporary. There won't be any lasting effects. Chakotay wants nothing to do with it. But if he doesn't do it, you will die. So he agrees and they make it happen. They connect and he sees everything. He sees Wolf 359 from their point of view. He sees the assimilations of the people on the planet. I saw faces, planets. After they're done, there are some residual effects that Riley says will last for, for about an hour. They can communicate during this time through their thoughts. He now knows these people intimately. And he is all in. He cannot wait to help them. Shortly after this, Voyager finds Chakotay. He and Riley beam up and meet with Janeway. Riley pitches reestablishing the neural link with everyone on the planet. She believes that this will resolve their differences. It'll bring everyone together. They want to use the cube to power the link. They want us to reactivate a Borg ship. Janeway is understandably adamantly against this. She offers supplies. She offers to help upgrade their security measures. Riley thanks her, and she returns to the planet. Janeway and Chakotay are left alone, and she asks Chakotay about the proposal. He says he wants to do it, but he understands what's at stake. You know, you know, just a little bit. Like, like I don't know, like the Borg. <laughs> but honestly... Honestly, the Borg are from the Delta Quadrant. We knew that coming into Voyager. So it was a matter of time until they ran into them. So Janeway, Janeway lays out the real issue that she has with this plan. Not only would it mean imposing a choice on thousands of people who had no voice in the decision, but it would also be taking a terrible risk. Oof, that's huge. Well, Chakotay heads back to the planet and he breaks the news to Riley. She's disappointed, but understands. On his way back to the ship in a shuttle... The cooperative reestablishes contact with him through the link. They straight up lied to him. They can still talk to him and, and they can coerce him. Chakotay, we need your help. He grabs a phaser. He stuns Torres and he flies to the cube. They direct him to the location of the generator. Despite Tuvok and a security team trying to stop him, he activates the generator and the entire planet is joined in a neural link. Two things. Two things happen immediately. First, all hostilities on the planet stop. Riley was right. Oh, <laughs> but so were Janeway and Torres. You see, the cube reactivates as well. All the drones are waking up. The cooperative, though, seems to be true to their word. They don't want anyone to get hurt. They don't want anything bad to happen. So they initiate a self-destruct on the cube. They hail Voyager. We are the new cooperative. And they apologize for forcing Chakotay to help. They cut the transmission, and the ship is on its way. Janeway meets with Chakotay in private. He apologizes, but she is very, very understanding. She knows and understands that he was coerced. He still takes full accountability. Real stand-up moment for Chakotay here in a wonderful scene that shows the growing respect between these two leaders. This is our second go with the Borg here on the Starfleet Leadership Academy, but in the production world of Star Trek, their story was almost complete, at least, at least at the time. 
the wildly popular film Star Trek First Contact had come out just three months before this episode aired, and some, like Ronald D. Moore, co-writer of the movie, believed that that should have been the end of the Borg in Star Trek, as we'll see in future episodes of Voyager and the entire first and second seasons of Picard at the time of this recording, the Borg are very much an ongoing concern. Come to Quark's Crisis Fund. Come right now. Don't walk. Run. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So, join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast. Fantasy, action, mystery, friendship. Hi there, cadets. In our last episode, where we watched Discovery's Choose Your Pain, we talked about the incredible performance review that Saru set up for himself. Well, I created a tool to help you do the same thing for yourself. For your free copy of this tool, visit jeffaken.com and join our mailing list. You'll get access to a copy that you can download for yourself and for your team. Just visit jeffaken.com and join the mailing list. Thanks. I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. The Borg are from the Delta Quadrant. That's the part of the galaxy Voyager is stranded in. Honestly, despite Ron D. Moore's desire for the movie to be the end of the Borg, there was really no way for them to not be a part of this show. But this is a super unique take on them, and it plants a few seeds that will impact Voyager in the long run. First, and maybe, maybe most importantly, the idea that a person can be deborged is really introduced here. I mean, Picard was able to be, but but he was only Locutus for a for a short period of time. The people in the cooperative had been Borg for for at least eight years. We see how Picard, by the time of the episode in the Next Generation family, looks fully human, no scars no implants or physical remnants of being Borg. But the cooperative, in the cooperative, the XBs still have Borg components because of how long they were Borg. This seed is what helps give us Seven of Nine. And it's a huge part of the premise in the first half of the first season of Picard. Second, the episode paves a road for a massive villain that'll come up later in this season. Without giving much away, the crew believed that the cube was disabled by an electrokinetic storm. Everyone except for Bolana Torres, that is. Torres thinks there's a species that straight up rocked the Borg. And well, let's just say that she isn't wrong. Now really, I, I enjoyed this episode. I liked its take on the Borg and the impossible situation it put Chakotay in. I liked the way the cooperative were the bad guys, but they... They really weren't. It was it was just a really well done episode. But my problem with it is that aside from the seeds it planted, it has zero lasting impacts. I mean, they formed a new Borg collective that they call a cooperative. Borg bent on being altruistic. Huh. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they could, you know, suddenly make that a plot point 
you know, near the end of closing out a confusing storyline in a series that's still in production at the time I record this. I don't know, maybe, maybe suddenly drop it in without any warning at the end of the second season. Hmm. Just an idea. But Chakotay's question at the end that I'll dive into here in a little bit, it's never addressed. That's a huge missed opportunity. I also think they missed an opportunity to talk about Riley's plan and how it's what happens when attempts at diversity fail. They have such a great group of people on this planet. They're from all parts of the galaxy, brought together by a common trauma and the need for survival. As people do, especially people with a scarcity-based mindset, they form groups, gangs really, and fight each other. Real leadership, strong leadership would work to bring these groups together and build on what they have. But apparently, that's just too hard. So instead, they reform the collective against everyone's will and enforce peace. It seems like a total cop-out to me that, that in Star Trek, Star Trek should have consequences for something like this. But I think, I think I've let the command code seep into the red alert section. So... What do you say? Let's get to it. Command codes verified. I'm going to talk about Chakotay's powerful question at the end of this episode about sticking to your principles when you have authority and power. But before that, I get to share one of my colleagues' favorite things to say and how impactful it can be. Know a thing for what it is. And on top of seeing leadership give up on diversity, we do see the groundwork for building a team based on a common cause and purpose. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. The members of the cooperative are doing some rough, rough work. They have limited supplies, a litany of medical issues and concerns, and other groups attacking them on a regular basis. But they persevere through all of this. When we see them, they're doing the hard work necessary for them to survive and and maybe, maybe even thrive. Now, this might be because of a single person that's a strong leader and has charismatically inspired everyone to work and struggle through hardship. But you've got a job, too. You've got to show up to school on time. You've got to pay attention in your class. But I doubt that. They've been here for like, I don't know, more than five years. And while charisma can carry a team for a while, that's a long time. No, I think this is something bigger than a person or even a group of people can impact. They've tapped into the secret that can transform any team into a high-performance team. You see, they have a common cause, a shared purpose. Every person owns it. They know what it is, and it's their cause. It is their purpose. For them, it's it's kind of about survival, but it's also about peace and community, or as the episode states, unity. They don't just want to survive. They want to bring the splintered groups back so they can all live and work together. This cause is what keeps them going. In fact, in fact, when Chakotay hears their initial goals and then he sees the group in action, he can't help but get swept up in it. He very much wants to help. 
In this episode, Riley is the spokesperson, but it's not clear that she's the leader or even in a leadership type role. What we see is a highly functional team that knows what needs to be done and they're doing it. My good friend, Thomas Huber. Mr. Huber, as CEO of Raffinerie Tremontoise. And his team would call this an unbossed organization. And that, that is a very, very good thing. As a leader, you can achieve this too. And you, you don't even need a neural link to do it. What you do need is a crystal clear purpose that everyone has bought into and fully owns. When this exists, you don't need a manager or a boss telling you what to do or approving things. Everybody just does what needs to be done. I once heard, and I love this, I heard that the thing that stops most teams and organizations from performing at their peak is a thing that you know well, M&Ms. And no, not the delicious candy that melts in your mouth, not in your hand. But a much more sinister M&M. Managers and meetings. These two things rarely contribute to better performance and almost always detract from it. So develop a strong, well-defined purpose that every single person on the team is committed to, and you can eliminate every M&M that doesn't directly contribute to that purpose. Even the green ones. While the cooperative works as a highly effective team without constant managerial interventions, Voyager isn't quite there yet. They still exist in a quasi-military structure. And what this means is that sometimes the captain is going to come down on you. Now, in the cooperative, that responsibility doesn't land on just one person. The team holds the team accountable. And it's super easy because everyone is sold on the purpose. But on Voyager, Janeway often has her work cut out for her. Near the end of the episode, Chakotay apologizes for everything that has happened. It would have been super easy, honestly, even expected for Janeway to accept his apology and give some feedback, maybe, maybe even a lecture on exposing oneself to risk and, you know, and stuff like that. Instead though, she not only understands that he was essentially under the mind control of the cooperative, but she also knows a thing for what it is. She knows Chakotay and she knows that Based on who he is, of course he came to them from a place of friendship and wanting to help. Helping others, Chakotay, that's part of who you are. Given everything you believe in, I don't see how you could have behaved differently. A colleague of mine said this on a regular basis. Know a thing for what it is. He used this as a tool to help him acknowledge his emotional attachment to an issue, but still be able to look at it objectively. There's an old fable Honestly, that illustrates this really well, but uh, I'm kind of frustrated because it's perfect to share right here, but there's literally a two-parter in Voyager named after this fable. So, uh, yeah, so I'm going to share it here and we are absolutely going to be looking at it again, which honestly, honestly, I think is cool and still valuable. I mean, this is such a simple, simple story, but so meaningful. This is the story of the frog and the scorpion. So the scorpion asked this frog to carry it across a stream, something, whatever. And uh, the frog is like, no way, man, you're going to sting me. 
And a scorpion assures the frog that this is in neither of their best interests. I mean, I kill you, I drown, right? So the frog sees the wisdom in this and scorpion hops on his back, boom, off they go. Then midstream, sure enough, scorpion stings the frog. And as they both start to sink, the dying frog manages a week. Why? And the scorpion says, because I'm a f***ing scorpion. That's why. Now, there are many variations on this fable. Like, there's there's one with a turtle, which I think is probably the original one. And then there's some that pull in snakes and humans. Uh, the lesson, though, in all of these is, is is pretty much the same. And it's exactly what I was just talking about. Know a thing for what it is. The frog would have been fully justified in getting furious and screaming at the scorpion, just like Janeway would have been justified in chastising Chakotay for putting himself in the position he did. But in both cases, they know the thing for what it is and respond accordingly. I think that's, I think that's really the real lesson point here. Respond accordingly. If you touch a hot stove and you burn your hand, it doesn't do any good to get mad at the stove, right? Like, what did you think was going to happen? Janeway could have accepted Chakotay's apology, but given the situation, what did she think was going to happen? What could she have expected would have been done any differently? He did exactly what anyone who knew him would expect him to do given the situation. So instead of punishing Chakotay or leaning into him or shaming him, she consoles him. She validates his feelings, expresses her understanding, and offers a kind of sympathy because she knew a thing for what it was, a person for who he is. She was able to lead him through this really difficult situation. She was able to help allay his guilt, and they were able to move on. In their final conversation, Chakotay asks an absolutely profound question. I wonder how long their ideals will last in the face of that kind of power. <laughs> yes. Wow. This is such a huge thought. As a society, we've wrestled with this concept for, for centuries. The phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely, is attributed to Lord John Edward Acton from a letter he wrote in 1887. But over a century before that, English Prime Minister William Pitt the Elder said in Parliament that unlimited power is apt to corrupt the minds of those who possess it. And he said that in the 1770s. Now, if you want an example of the potential for corruption due to power, look no further than colonial England, right? Or you can look at so many governments today, or most every single one dating back as far as recorded history. It is really hard to dispute this, but none of these governments or people had the kind of power the cooperative has here. In seconds, nanoseconds, they connected everyone's mind and forced them towards a common goal and purpose. That is an unbelievable amount of power. And yeah, I should mention earlier when I was talking about developing that shared purpose and the superpowers that that can bring, I, I did not mean to do it like this. No, you have to collaborate, communicate, actively enroll people into owning that vision. What the cooperative did here, like I said before, 
is giving up on all that and forcing it. In fact, and I promise I'm not going to make this any more political than this next part will make it, but the writer of this episode, Kenneth Biller, used the Soviet Union as the model for this cooperative. Now, I feel like this isn't a hard concept to see and agree on when we're talking politics, right, or government. But what about at work? What about in a household? I don't know about you, but I see the signs of this thinking every single day in every organization I've ever worked in or observed. On the more benign end of the spectrum, you see things like managers working in offices or larger cubes while the workers are confined in smaller, less comfortable cubes or workspaces. Maybe you'll see things like a manager taking a longer lunch break or something like that. Nothing nefarious you know, going on here, but a clear separation that shows that the manager eh, going to be a little more comfy and gets to do a little more than the others. On the other side of the spectrum... You see things like people not being paid for overtime, employers monitoring social media, safety protocols not being followed, even bullying and outright discrimination and harassment. As you know, there's going to be downsizing and uh, you have made my life so much easier in that I am going to have to let you go first. What? Why? When a person is put into a position where they have power, where their decisions have a direct impact on the lives and experiences of the people they work with, it can be so easy to make selfish choices, to see things through your eyes with little regard to the impacts to others. And I want to be fair here. I want to be clear. I'm not saying that this is always intentional. Just by virtue of having authority or power, even when you have the best of intentions, you're going to probably make choices that cause harm. Let's look at the cooperative, totally discounting the total unwilling mind control portion of what they want to do to all the people on the planet. When they mind control Chakotay, they have the best of intentions. Here's a way we can get what we want, what we believe we need super easily and with almost no bloodshed. Like, that sounds great right? All they have to do to get there to find peace and connection across their whole planet is hijack the mind and body of an unwilling participant that they straight up lied to to make it happen. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Their level of power almost blinds them to this. Yeah, I mean, they apologize at the end, but who's apologizing to Torres? She got phasered by her friend and her superior officer. To combat this, You have to be always vigilant and always intentional when you're faced with any decision that will impact others. Include them in the decision-making. Avoid situations where you're left unsupervised to make all the decisions. I think about store or location managers here. When I was a general manager of a movie theater, my district manager was like, I don't know, he was like 800 miles away from me. I could run completely on my own for months at a time sometimes, but to be sure I didn't let that happen, I leaned on my teams and my colleagues, my management team, other GMs in the area, even even one of the vendors I worked with that I trusted. I not only expected accountability, but I actively sought it out. And on top of that, I was open to being accountable. 
when someone would question an idea I had or something I said, I wouldn't get defensive and just stand up for my idea. No, I'd be curious. I'd be open to hearing what they had to say. So yeah, maybe, maybe we can agree that absolute power corrupts absolutely. I wish we got to see what came of the cooperative later in the series to see how it affected them. But when you're intentional and you actively seek out and accept accountability, you can change this up a little and we can say and hopefully agree that unchecked absolute power corrupts absolutely. Welcome to our newest members of Red Squadron. During this Red Squad recruitment drive, new and promoting subscribers to Patreon will not only get access to bonus episodes and content, but they'll also be invited to an Ask Me Anything meet and greet on Zoom. And if a hundred or more people subscribe or upgrade their subscription, I'll host a watch party with all the members of Red Squad of one of the Star Trek films. But you have to subscribe or upgrade before the middle of July. Don't wait. Do it today. And once you've joined, share it on social media. I'm on Twitter at SFLA Podcast. And you can follow me on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T. as in Torres got phasered by Chakotay, A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. <laughs> it's our first animated series episode from its first season, the fourth episode, The Lorelei Signal. I absolutely remember this episode, and I think it's going to be a perfect first look at this series. Not only is Uhura featured in this one, but she ends up taking full command. I look forward to watching it with you. And until then, ex astra scientia. Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Welcome to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning In to Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.